Miller in alone. He scores! What a passing play, and JT Miller finishes it off, fresh off his third career hat trick against the Wild. He gives the Canucks a 1 0 lead with his 28th of the season. And this was silky smooth from the Vancouver Canucks. Starts in their own zone, Philip Ronick. Hits Quinn Hughes with a pass, who ends up finding Brock Besser through the middle of the ice and just a nice touch pass. Welcome back to Halford & Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford. Halford & Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. This hour of Halford & Bruff is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sorefeet, what are you waiting for? Kintech! 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Still a chance to texture what we learns in to 650-650. Hashtag WWL. Two prizes on the line today. One, a pair of tickets to the Canucks and the Bruins on Saturday. Include the ticket emoji if you want to be entered into that draw. Uh, also... A $100 gift card to Bridge Brewing on the line as well. Include a beer emoji. You can include both emojis. Uh, We will choose the two best what we learns and announce the winners at 830. So still a chance to get those submissions in. But right now, we go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline uh, where we are joined by Sportsnet 650's Canucks color analyst, Randeep Janda. Uh, Randeep, thanks for doing this. How relieved are you that you're not uh, carrying Dan Riccio on your back anymore with Batchback? <laughs> hey, come on. What are you talking about? I did that for three years anyways. I'm good. <laughs> uh, no, it's good to have... <laughs> hey. It's good, it's good to have Batchback, but uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, you set me up for that one yeah, perfectly, Jay. That was but, good. Uh, no, it's great to have Batchback, but uh, Riccio did a good job. He was uh, he, he brought it, man, and... Um, and people are, are ripping him for the team not winning. I, I need to remind people, I went 0-5-2 in my debut uh, last year. So That's good sometimes point. that happens. That's a good point. Sometimes it's just the, the, the new guy in the booth. Yeah, you were a coach effect. killer, Randy. <laughs> yeah, it was all me. Um, speaking of the head coach, Rick Tockett is in charge of the power play. At least PP1. Apparently the Sedins have PP2. Um, what are you seeing from this power play that is causing it to be so ineffective? Yeah, a couple of things being seen on this power play. And guys, first of all, uh, teams are content giving up the perimeter to the Canucks right now because if you essentially keep you know, tight in the middle, uh, this team is not, is not in a position right now where they have multiple options. And a part of that is, you know, it's not much movement going on, which is I'm not a, you know, that JT Miller goal against... Uh, um, you know, Minnesota, where he kind of angles himself towards the middle of the ice, keeps him moving, finds a lane. Uh, you just don't see that enough from this team. So teams like Colorado are okay to give the perimeter passes. They're fine with that. They're not giving up the middle of the ice. And a couple of plays, if we can count them on our hands to be say okay, there was something different. Elias Pedersen tries to jam the puck yesterday. That happened a couple of times over the last six or seven games with JT Miller. The down low option gets some room. They try to jam it in, but guys, that's it. There's a post yesterday from Quinn Hughes. He was being aggressive through the middle, but we're talking about five shot attempts on the power play yesterday over four minutes, two power plays. That's simply not good enough. The other thing that teams are doing really well, and they're doing their homework, is zone entries. 
They understand how the Vancouver Canucks are going to enter the zone. And one classic example was yesterday where, you know, Quinn Hughes comes through the right-hand side, will drop pass to JT Miller, and then immediately two players are right in the passing lane to JT Miller. They know that he's got two options on that play, and they plug it up. So there's a couple of things that are going on there. I think it's just not decisive enough from Vancouver. Uh, the other thing is teams have adjusted to what they do. Can you adjust back? There's so many weapons. There's so much that you can have going right on that power play. I think at you know the ceiling for this team, when they're going right, and we've seen it, it's based on evidence, probably a top three power play, top five power play. But the way that the parts are working right now, part of this is on the players, and part of this is on, you know, of course, you mentioned Rick Tockett. He's trying different things, but I think the players just have to be a little decisive. Uh, you're seeing some frustration in their game, and they're trying to force passes through the middle when they're not there. How much do you buy the idea that, hey, they're trying to integrate Elias Lindholm here and that's going to take some time? Because I, I get that, of course. You've you got a new player, you're trying to build that chemistry. But I also don't know that introducing one new player to the power play should result in it being as kind of static and listless as it has been over the last little bit here. I think early on you could make that argument, maybe right after the All-Star break. But remember, his first game, he scores yep. two goals on the power play, and that was... Uh, but over, you know, that that's a small sample size, and with time, teams adjust to you. I, I don't really buy that incorporating the new piece uh, element because there's so many other things that are going on with this power play. Um, you know, whether it's puck management, whether it's sometimes a little casual play on the power play, whether it's a lack of movement. Um, you know, with Elias Lindholm, uh, I can understand an element of getting used to a player in the area, but he's a versatile player. He can move around. Um, and he hasn't maybe found his spot yet when he's playing on the left half wall. Uh, I'm not sure that's a great option. Uh, even with Brock Besser out there, I haven't really, really liked that too much. I think the most dynamic we've seen is when JT Miller is there. Um, so, you know, you've seen some movement. But to me, this is more about a opposition understanding what the Canucks are capable of doing. And essentially, you know, Playing a certain way, and with Pedersen, if he's going to be the main facilitator on the right-hand side, which we've seen over the last three or four games, um, yeah, do you basically say, all right, see what you can do on the perimeter because we're not giving you anything in the middle? I, I think it's more um, you're looking for you're looking for a couple of heroes on this power play right now uh, to break through the middle of the ice. And yeah, Elias Lindholm's a part of that. So is Brock Besser, and so is JT Miller. But to me, it's a collective thing. It's not down to one player. And I just think they're a little... They're a little frustrated, and they're lacking some assertiveness, which is something that you need penalty kills to be on their heels. You need to stretch them thin, and it's just too comfortable right now for the PK uh, when the Canucks are in the power play. Everything's in front of them. They're not chasing. Are you at all glad, like I am, that the Canucks are facing some adversity and that they are being tested before the playoffs? I am, actually, because I think at this point in the season where you've had you know, a heck of a year, you're in a situation where, you know, you've been able to kind of run roughshod over teams at certain elements of the season, uh, that doesn't work in the playoffs. You're going to have different types of teams that you're playing against. You're going to have different moments of momentum swings in games. You're going to have, uh, yeah, there's going to be, who knows, there, maybe there's a five-minute, you know, penalty kill because there's a major, we saw that against Vegas and, and San Jose a, a, a number of years ago where, um, you know, there's going to be moments like that in the game where you're you're going to be tested. You're going to be in a situation where you're saying, all right, are we ready for this? Have we done this before? Have we taken a punch to the face? And how did we end up reacting to it? And the Canucks right now, that Minnesota game was the punch in the face. That was a Mike yeah. Tyson uppercut to the chin, right? Like that was, that was a rough one. 
but it's good to get those moments now because as we've seen, and go back to Tampa versus Columbus way back when, where you know Tampa comes in, they are historically good. They're just mopping the floor with everybody, and then adversity hits them in round one of the playoffs. What happens? They get spanked, and they couldn't deal with it. That, that's an example of you want a little bit more uh, you know, just adversity. You want to be pushed around a little bit to see how you can respond because it preps you for that time of the year. It's tough. Don't get me wrong. They're in a slump right now, their first three-game losing streak of the year. How do you get out of it? And this is where you're going to find out a little bit about your star players and how they deal with pressure, but also some of the depth guys where in those pressure moments, can you cope with it? Because, guys, that's that's what they're training for, right? They're training for April. That's when it gets real. And they're starting to see a little bit of that. And the schedule's not an easy one either, where they're playing some quality teams. So this is a testing ground. What did you think of uh, our Steve Baines in his NHL debut? Yeah, I thought he played well. You know, he played hard. We saw some offensive pop in his game. And one, one of the things, you know, the penalty uh, just goes aggressive into the corner, gets the, the, the skates tangled up with uh, Ryan Johansson. But outside of that, I thought his chemistry with Teddy Bluger uh, was something that I like, you know, when he brings that forecheck, and he's got to bring that consistently enough. Uh, there was that chance in the second period, good forecheck, sets up Teddy Bluger, uh, another opportunity in the third period behind the net yet again. You can see that playmaking skill, and, you know, a couple other opportunities too, the two-on-one with Brock Besser, uh, there was a, a shot from the right-hand side on Georgiev. So the offense is definitely, you know, there's that is there. He's just got to, you know, be in a situation where, um, are you are you in a situation where you're hitting the forecheck and you're keeping up with the play consistently enough? And I thought this was a great start for Arshdeep. I think he's you know a kid that has worked hard and he, when he takes uh, a lot, of, he downloads a lot of information. So whatever the coaching staff in Abbotsford has been saying, whatever they've been saying uh, in terms of finding that two-way game, he listens. And his career still early, you know, going back to junior. But whenever there's a bit of a, a hurdle thrown in front of him, he jumps over. He works hard to do so. So. Remember that he did not have a single practice uh, where he was able to practice with the team. So that's something that is with a little bit more practice time, I would expect him to get a more comfortable. But I thought he had a good start, right? When you compare his play to maybe like a Linus Carlson of mm. who had more of an imp- impact, uh, I would say offensively, definitely more a pop in, in Baines's game right now than, than, um, than we've seen in Carlson. But this is game one. Let's see how you do it in the next one against Seattle uh, if you get the ice and, and Boston when you get back home as well. Well, I think the most impressive thing about the performance was just the fact that he was out there in the third period. Tight sure. game against a really yep. good team on the road, and it wasn't his minutes getting cut. It was the fourth line. It was Mikheyev, uh, Phil Giuseppe, Niels Amon. Tockett was still leaning on Archdeep Baines. If you already have that trust one game in, I think that says a lot about the type of player that he is. And, you know, I did want to ask as well, an incredible story for Archie Baines and for, you know, a player from the South Asian community in greater Vancouver, getting to make it, uh, playing for the Canucks. What was it like for you to get to call that? And just what, what kind what does that mean for the community at large? Yeah, this is a huge moment for the community. Um, and there's been, you know, Vancouver and BC has been a, a central spot when it comes to the South Asian community hockey. You go back to, uh, the eighties and nineties with Robin Bawa, uh, from Vancouver Island, but, you know, Jajad Keda, who's a Surrey boy, ends up playing with Edmonton and uh, currently in the Minnesota organization, played Chicago the last couple of years. But playing for your home team just hits different. And to 
to get to know Arshdeep a little bit over the last few years, along with his dad, Kaldeep, who we saw on the TV yeah. broadcast, uh, he was he was enjoying the moment. It's it's a kid that was never given anything, right? Undrafted in the WHL, undrafted in the NHL, and just working. And you've seen the progress over the years. Uh, from a community's perspective, it's, it's first of all, on a personal level, it's great to see how this kid has been able to, to despite maybe being passed over a couple of times, He's worked hard and he's been able to get to that level where you're saying he's wow he's in, he's across the ice from you know Nathan McKinnon uh, that's unbelievable from a community perspective he's the fourth player of Punjabi South Asian background to play in the NHL which speaks uh, you know speaks volumes in terms of the impact that this kid's going to have it's been nine years since Jajad Kadam made his debut and you know the next player has now made it to that level I think this is going to have a huge impact. Uh, as we know, if you go to Rogers Arena, the South Asian community, the Punjabi community loves hockey. And Arshdeep is a an example of that. He's a product of that. And it's going to be cool to see how many kids he can inspire. And I know that's a, a big responsibility to put on the, the shoulders of a kid who's 23. But that's the impact a, a player like this can have, right? Where he's a, been able to persevere at every single level, starting off at Delta Hockey Academy and now ending up playing at, at his you know hometown club. I, I think he's going to be able to inspire a lot of kids. And really, uh, that's why you're seeing an outpouring of support online, not only in Vancouver, but across the Punjabi diaspora across the world, because people are saying, all right, if this kid can do it, you know what? The next generation has a shot, too. So there's only been four players of South Asian background in the NHL or Punjabi background guys. But to me, um, this is a a real important point for the local community, because it's it's a kid from, you know, Surrey, a kid that played at these local rinks and and he's going to set an example for the future. How important is has it been for the South Asian community to get invested in the sport of hockey and the local hockey team? Um, I've noticed that you know I've had cab rides home with you know a ton of you know South Asians that and we've talked hockey and we've talked about the Canucks and I've always loved that there's that investment in something new for them you know how many south asians grew up you know not from canada and knew anything about hockey and then they come to canada and all of a sudden they're the biggest canucks fans like the most passionate canucks fans with like the hardest opinions on the team i mean i think it's amazing is it unique to that community in some way it is pretty unique to the community, and I think a part of that, guys, for the previous generation, it really goes back to the old country because, you know, for Punjab especially, um, it's a, a very prominent sport when it comes to field hockey. Uh, some of the best field hockey players going back uh, the last 60, 70 years came from the state of Punjab, which is where, you know, most of the, a lot of the population, uh, this is a, a hub for the Punjabi community, Vancouver and Surrey, so you know, that, that direct line between the two sports really set up for a good way. And you're right, the, there is a unique relationship here where um, you go to the, the rink on any given night, uh, there's a high proportion of uh, South Asian people watching the game. There's a love for it. You go to, uh, I don't have to say Scott Rodcelli's, uh, people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, when there's when there's uh, success in this market, you know, the city and, and the community comes out in a big way. Uh, there is, you know, and working on the Hockey Night in Canada Punjabi side, it's not only at the NHL level. You see that love at the local level. The participation rates in the community are going through the roof. You know, you've got players um, uh, just to to 
Arsh is the one that's going to get a, a lot of attention, as he, he should. But, you know, you start looking at what's going on with the BCHL, the Surrey Eagles, if I'm not mistaken, have five uh, South Asian players themselves. So there's mm-hmm. a real boom in the market in terms of participation level. And that's across the country. That's, uh, you know, a kid from L.A. I interviewed a few weeks ago, uh, Sahil Panwar, who is another South Asian player who's playing in the ECHL. You've got other players in the AHL. So there's a lot going on. But when it comes to the local community, um, yeah, there's there's a love here. There's part of that to me. I think goes back. Uh, it's waves like any fan base. 1994 was you know how my family got into it, and then I turned into a super fan. And you know, for a lot of the community, 2011 was that moment where you just opened it up, and it just you know opened up the, the world of hockey to you. Uh, but there's two things going on here, guys. One is new fans. The other one is there's also a rich history. I mentioned Robin Bawa earlier on. You know, there's been players that have been playing in the in local rinks from the 60s and 70s. So it's kind of a, a cool story where, you know, a lot of people catching on to the game, uh, maybe newer immigrants, but there's also a rich history that people are celebrating. And that's where uh, I think Arsh is kind of in both of those worlds where he, he you know, he played with Robin Bawa's sons in junior, one of mm-hmm. his sons. Uh, but now he's also setting an example for the future. So it's a pretty cool story. And Surrey is the epicenter of that uh, just because it's the love of hockey in, in in Surrey is it's uh in my opinion unparalleled this you see it every single time the Canucks win a playoff round uh Randy what's coming up for the Canucks that's uh that you've got your eyes on um is it uh gonna get I don't want to say worse before it gets better but is it gonna get harder before it gets easier for this team yeah I think one of the biggest issues here is and like the strength of schedule is going to be um especially while you're going through a bit of a, a lull here, a slump, whatever you want to call it, uh, it, it's not an easy schedule here, right? you got Seattle who is showing that a little bit here and there that they can pop their head out and try to get back in the playoff race. You've got Boston coming again. Uh, so I think this is a, an interesting time for the team because, yeah, they've been at the top of the league. The points percentage has been up there, but now you're going to get a real, a real test here to say, okay, against these teams – when you're not playing well, how do you grind out those victories? And five on five, guys, I've liked their game over the last three games. Take away that absolute bizarre third period to a certain extent because you're never going to see that sort of period uh, against Minnesota ever again. But even the opening 40 minutes of that game, opening 40 minutes against Winnipeg, uh, the game against Colorado five on five, if you look at the numbers, they were pretty good. But are you in a position to deal with these momentum swings against the good teams? So, you know, Boston, L.A., some of those matchups that are coming up, this is going to be a a real test for this team to be, all right, one of 82, in-game momentum swings, uh, they happen. We're starting to see a little bit more, but you're going to have calls go against you potentially. You're not going to be happy with that, such as the uh, the Ian Cole phantom call from last night. But how do you deal with that in the moment? So the adversity, the test right now, uh, I think is really important for this team between the ears because you got to deal with it. You got to cope with it. That's what the good teams do. Randeep, thanks for doing this, man. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll chat soon. Cheers, boys. Have a good one. That is Randy Janda, Sportsnet 650 color analyst, joining us here on Halford and Bruff. All right, so at 8.30, we'll do what we learned. Uh, We'll do the listener submissions for what we learned, including announcing the winners of not one but two giveaways. First of all, a pair of tickets to the Canucks and Bruins on Saturday. That should be fantastic. Include the ticket emoji with your what we learned submission for that one. And also a $100 gift card to Bridge Brewing up for grabs include the beer emoji for that one still last call here last chance uh to get your what we learns in we'll announce the winner at 8 30 before we do that 
Uh, I have a what we learned. Does anyone else have anything I, they want to share? I, I have one, but you you start. All right. So mine is actually, believe it or not, CFL related. Uh, what I learned is that according to Justin Dunk, CFL reporter of Three Down Nation, the BC Lions have signed Vernon Adams Jr. to a contract extension through 2026. So Vernon Adams in line to remain the BC Lions quarterback for the foreseeable future. Uh, of course, Adams initially coming over, replacing Nathan Rourke but has been really good for the Lions since then. And I think this also just ties into the stability Mm -hmm. from new owner Amar Doman, right? You've got a good thing. Keep it in place. Keep this momentum that the team has going. So it's funny. I feel the same way about Vernon Adams that I do about Geno Smith in Seattle, whereas he has outperformed my expectations I still don't know if he's the guy to to improve, to to deliver the great cup or the Super Bowl. Right. I think that's fair. Right. But Uh, I also think it's like Gino where you don't want to move on in the hopes of finding something better unless you know that you have something better. You know what I mean? Like, unless it's like, no, 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 you've got a pretty good thing here. Mm -hmm. Keep your options open if you can, but as a fallback option or as a just giving you that kind of baseline sense of stability. I think it's pretty important. I think especially this is for the such BC. a massive season for the Lions well, coming up with say. hosting the Grey Cup and trying to get over the the hump that is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, I mentioned it a few times on this show. I'm still frustrated that they didn't end up hosting the West Final and they had to go to Winnipeg. They forced Moach to go to Winnipeg, which he didn't doesn't like. <laughs> um, and it makes it just so much harder. And they had a prime opportunity to host the West Final. And, you know, hopefully things can change this season that it's all been ramping up for this season where the Lions will host the West final. They will beat Winnipeg and then they'll go to the gray cup and get to host it at BC place. Yeah. You can't go backwards this year. You need to keep building on what they've done the last couple Mm -hmm. of seasons. And I think, look, maybe you're right. Does he have the highest upside in the league? No, but I think it gives you that baseline where you can be competitive. Give us a moo cow on that. Uh, I have learned that um, I'm giving up on all All Star games. All right, and I just I don't think it's salvageable in any way. So Donovan Bennett has written an article at Sportsnet.ca, and it is why the NBA All Star Game is broken and how to fix it. And with all due respect to Donovan Bennett, I cannot read this article. <laughs> Because it is just like it's the it's the same thing over and over. I'll read uh, just for Donovan. I'll read the first few sentences. At one time, the NBA hands down had the best All Star game, but now it's hard to argue it isn't the worst. For a while, it has been a tough watch. Left me questioning why I was watching. This year, for the first time, I stopped watching. The difference this time around is the intensity usually increases in the second half, and this year it did not. This is the first time in All-Star Game history a team scored 200 points. The NBA got to this point by not fighting the steady decline in the game's competitiveness. The NBA tried having captains pick teams and even have a live draft. The league tried the popular uh, Elam ending and target score used to great success in the CEBL. It goes on, uh, and he concludes in the long run, none of it mattered. So uh, if you're interested in trying to fix the All-Star game, uh, Donovan has a few ideas. But like the All-Star game, uh, I did not finish his article. (laughs) 
because like I'm just shots fired. No, it's, it's not. It's not Donovan's fault. I've written this stuff when I used to be a writer. I'd be like, oh, how can the NHL fix the All Star game? And like, scrap it. They, they went to three <laughs> yeah. on three. Drafts. They've had they've had the yeah. draft. They've put they've given the players uh, money. Um, you know, the best all-star game maybe in the last little while was when we had the John Scott controversy, mm-hmm. but also that was the first year of three-on-three. Three. And I remember being in that uh, all-star or being at that all-star game in Nashville, and the players actually did try. Like, the three-on-three three was better, but it still wasn't, like, intense. And did I ever tell you about my uh, back and forth with Brent Burns where we nearly got into, like, well, not me, but like he nearly started shouting at me. No, because I was asking him like basically, and it was a very inelegant question that I posed to him, which was pretty much like, "Does giving you guys a million dollars to play for is that gonna make you try?" <laughs> like, and then he was like, "What do you want me hunting guys down on the back check?" <laughs> and I was like, "No, I no." Please don't hurt me, but like, and then one of his teammates, I can't remember who the other shark was at the time, was like, you need some help over there, Burnsy? I'm like, oh my God, what have I done here? So anyway, I'm still scared of Brent Burns. And uh, at any rate, like it just, and, and, and at the end of the day, like, and he actually, one of, actually one of the funny things he's, he said, what do you want a one nothing score? And the deciding game in three on three that year was one nothing. And everyone, and everyone, everyone was like, this was great because it was competitive, but I didn't have the courage to go back into the dressing room and be like, yeah, one nothing, huh? Well, that's a funny story, too, because one of the things with this NBA All-Star Weekend has been just the incredible like condescension for the idea of trying from the players. Like even in the skills competition, Anthony Edwards was like, "I'm going to shoot left-handed." Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Wemby, his teammate, was like, "Well, that's kind of a bummer. I'd like to win, but I guess you go out there and have fun." But just the players are hostile, like deeply hostile mm-hmm. to the idea of taking it seriously and trying. And that's not just in the NBA, as you said. That's in the NHL as well. I don't see it. Like, there's no way to magically fix that, to magically make them care and yeah. want to try. And unless you do that. The All-Star games are going to suck. They're not yeah. going to be entertaining. I, I at any rate, Donovan Bennett has a great article up at sportsnet.ca that I'm you should book, definitely uh, go read. Brent Burns for an in-studio the one that- with Alfred and Bruff and not <laughs> tell Bruff great. in advance. Burns, he just comes walking in. Yeah, the one like, I what love- do you want out of me? Play defense? <laughs> the... the- how dare you, sir? Um, there was a, a like a roundtable. I think it was just on the NBA All-Star Game at The Athletic, and one of the suggestions was, don't just put money on the line. Make the losers pay the winners. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about the enforceability of that one, but I enjoyed yeah. that idea very much. Yeah, that sounds like a gambling ring that would get like broken up by the feds at some point. Uh, all uh, right. Give us a moo cow on that. Uh, we have got a ton of great what we learns in Truly. and with a uh, $100 gift card to Bridge Brewing for beer on the line and two tickets to the Bruins game on Saturday I'm not surprised I just want everyone to know that this was a very tough decision mm-hmm. on picking the what we learned there can um, only be two winners there can only be two winners uh the Bruins tickets were especially tough uh to decide but I think a decision has been made if you want to send in a last-minute Hail Mary, what we learned, feel free to do that into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Someone just tugged on my heartstrings too much. All right. Wow. Exciting. 
You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. Oh, welcome it's back to we Halford and Bruff, your Sportsnet 650. Oops, my bad. On the show. It's too distracting. I'm all over eight we're having in the, in the break there. First of all, how dare you? Yeah, sorry. My bad, Abe. Hey, Doug. Uh, anyways, welcome back. I know we got it. We get we got a lot to get through here, so I was I was excited to get going. Uh, I'm Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford here. Jan Pro, the leaders in commercial cleaning and janitorial. If your workplace demands a clean environment, contact Jan Pro for a free no obligation quote. Visit janpro.ca. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com today. Also, by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. So Bruff and I did our What We Learns in the previous segment. We are forbidding the dogs from sharing theirs. There's, they've got solid gold back there Laddie that always gets, slamming the door on. Laddie always gets pouty when uh, we skip his What We Learned to go to the humanoids. He's like, oh, I have a good one. Yeah, so you'll have to get your KBO reminds me of the, from uh, somewhere else today. It reminds me of the kids I coach, and they're like, that was only a 40-second shift. Every time off the ice, just a complaint every time. And they're right to complain. <laughs> we, keep them, we keep them short <laughs> when I'm the coach. They're advocating for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, we're, we're skipping the dogs. They're lost forever. We'll never know what solid gold they had to share with us. We're going right <laughs> To the inbox. Let's print them out. I say, it better be good, listeners, because you guys are up against some right. stiff competition. Uh, what we learned is brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most at getfireplan.com. Comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation. Get $200 off today. Oh, my God. We're having a fire plan. Uh, all right, two prizes up for grabs, so let's uh, take care of that business. Let's give those away. Okay, A-Dog, we're going to start with you with the $100 gift certificate to Bridge Brewing. Uh, yeah, what we learned, beer emoji. I learned that I'm going to be in Vancouver for my 40th birthday next month, and my wife would love nothing more than to watch her man-child of a husband <laughs> drink $100 worth of beer in one sitting on his birthday. Love the show. Listen every day. Give me all the beer, Chef Graham. So congrats, Chef Graham. And I, that, that That's touch- a present for both of them. Yeah, it is, really. really. Tonight, they'll never them, forget. Right? Well, one of them won't ever remember, but the other <laughs> yeah. one will never forget. Uh, it hit me close to home, too, because it's also my 40th birthday oh. next month. So, uh, yeah, Chef Graham, enjoy your 40th B-Day. It's a big one. Are you also yeah. going to pound $100 of beer in front of your wife? Call it a night? $100 worth of cereal, maybe. I love yeah. that Chef Graham is not going to share with the... Uh, with his wife. He's like, nope, get yeah. your own beer. I won yeah. this fair and square, and I'm going to drink it it's on like my 40th home, birthday. It's like when Homer went to the kitchen and ate like 100 slices of <laughs> <Yeah>. American cheese. <laughs> I think I'm blind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I said that the winner of the uh, Canucks tickets uh, kind of tugged at the heartstrings. Uh, Coach D texted in what we learned, and he like set the scene. February 15th. 1974. We lost 4-2 versus the Bruins. My mom took me for my fifth birthday 50 years ago. 
Mom also had seasons tickets to the new Westminster Bruins, and it's her 80th birthday on February 26th. She loves watching the Canucks on TV, and it would be amazing to pay her back and be able to take her to the game on Saturday. How can I turn that down? How can I possibly turn that down? It's a good one. And by the way, what an amazing first game to go to. The Bruins win 4-2. to uh, Bobby Orr was in the lineup for the Bruins. Uh, Phil Esposito had an assist. Johnny Busick. You know, like there were some unbelievable players on that Bruins team that won some Stanley Cups. And uh, that was your first game. Mine was against like a very mediocre LA Kings team, and it finished in a 3 3 tie. <laughs> yeah, exciting. A lifelong yeah, love th- of I hockey there was born like, that day. I think there was like 8,000 fans at the Pacific Coliseum. I do also just want to say, pulling back the curtain a little bit here, because that tugged at your heartstrings mm-hmm. so much. And in a very unbruff fashion, you tried to communicate with the listener who sent that in and won the prize in the inbox. Yes. And you tried to text them, have a great time with your mom. Don't let her get too rowdy. But instead, you sent it to Chef Graham. <laughs> right. Who's going like, to drink the mother, his mother, his mother may not be his at wife. his 40th yeah, birthday. Yeah. It's hard to say. Uh, that is not what I call my wife. I don't call her mommy. <laughs> can, I, can I read a runner-up because it made me laugh? Okay. Uh, Noah from Langley. What we learned, ticket emoji, it's time to blow it up. This team is done and dusted. Ronick <laughs> thinks he can hammer the puck like Sammy Sallow. Oaklander thinks he's the second coming of Gretzky. Mikheyev thinks the team will get points if he just skates fast. Lindholm and Petey, they're just playing for their next contracts. They're not a contender until they go 82-0. and They need to dominate every team every night and never give up a goal against. Yes, this is sarcastic, but it might be hard to tell with the way Canucks fans seem to react after every loss. Noah from Langley. Yeah. It's a I good lo- one. Again, I love how the bar has been raised in Vancouver. Yeah. but We don't uh, accept losses We, we might have raised it like <laughs> a bit too high where the high jumper is like, uh, that's impossible. That's impossible. How dare like, you let the Colorado I, I, Avalanche compete yeah. against you? How yeah. dare you play a close game against the Avalanche yeah. on the road? What? Who is this McKinnon of, guy, and why are you letting him skate bunch so of fast? Sometimes, out Fer- there. sometimes Ferraro will text me and and like rip me, and he'll be like, "You know, there's two teams on the ice, right? Like when I'm uh, critical of the Canucks, like and just like not taking. Oh yeah." The other team is allowed to play well at times, too. You should just text them back, no excuses, Ray, and then just turn your yeah. phone It's off. like that with goalie analysis, too. A lot That's of the why time... I didn't win the cup, Ray. <laughs> why I didn't win the cup? No, you got to tell people sometimes, though. Sometimes the shooter can just make a good shot. He's never coming on the show again. <laughs> he doesn't do it anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you mean again? Well, yeah. back in the day. Ryan, the school board worker, what we learned, Bruff has been boycotting Kit Kat Chunky since the 2016 All-Star game. Yeah. I've definitely got it out for Brent Burns, for sure. <laughs> Just ripping him anytime yeah. you get a chance. How dare he? Yeah. Um, people are like, he, still he seems so Brock. nice. I bet I bet, I bet. bet he... Uh, he's so goofy. He's so goofy. I bet he's happy all the time. I was like, hmm. Try asking him the Ruff's been in his head the entire time. Yeah. You just have that effect on people. You take a, a fun-loving, free-spirited guy like Brent Burns and you, br- their you bring him down to the muck with you. Um, a version of this one has come in a few different times. This one, unsigned. What we learned, Mikheyev is a discount Louis Erickson. Somebody else texted in along those lines that, look, there's basically a Steve from Burnaby texted in as well. Mikheyev is starting to give me early budget Erickson vibes, <laughs> no event hockey with him, and a salary that doesn't justify supposed two-way ability. That's from Steve from Burnaby. And, look, that's a I think that's a harsh comparison right now, especially considering the injury situation 
with Ilya McKeeve, and he's still recovering from the ACL. Having said that, I think it's an interesting comparison because Louis Erickson stayed in the lineup and stayed in the top six for a long, mm-hmm. long time because he had that defensive ability that Travis Green knew he could rely on. And to the people wondering, why isn't McKeeve sitting? Why does he still get these opportunities? Talk it likes players that he can rely on defensively. We know that. That's what drove him nuts about Andre Kuzmenko. As long as that I don't is think still he's there as good defensively as Erickson, though. Erickson was well, a he had a bad penalty last night. killer. Yes. And I think but I think part of that is the injury situation as well. Of course. But yeah. I still think talk it like if you're wondering, man, why isn't this guy coming out of the lineup? Much like Travis Green, his good friend, Rick Talkett values guys that he can rely on. And I think for now at least, Ilya Mikheyev still has that trust. Do you think he could come out of the lineup at some point? I mean, I, I liked, do. liked what I see uh, I saw with Baines and I actually like him in Dakota Joshua's spot um while Joshua is out. Um and then so you're looking at a fourth line of Nils Amon. Um you could bring Lafferty back into the lineup and keep PDG in there and sit McKayoff. Like that's not something that's like completely out of line to suggest. It, I don't think it is, but I don't know wh- like why do you keep Phil DiGiuseppe in instead of over Ilya? Physicality, maybe? I don't know. I guess. I, I think I'm just I think throwing it out there. I think McKayoff's just better than PDG. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, I think know. he is, too. But it's not out of the question. Uh, Brandon in Vancouver, this one's funny. What we learned, if the power play had the same urgency as the text inbox when a prize is on the line, <laughs> they'd be number one in the league. What kind of novelty prize do you think would motivate the team the same way tickets do for the text inbox? I think they're plenty motivated. I think they're just going through it right now. I do like the idea, though, of uh, Rick Tockett putting up a $100 gift card to Bridge Brewing <laughs> on the board. All right. Yeah, oh, JT Miller whoever sharp leads, out there. Whoever leads in uh, in power play shots today, you get it. Go nuts. Uh, Aaron from Maple Ridge, what we learned, management might be right about bringing in Phil Kessel. It seems like we need a guy with a natural shot on our power play unit. Thing is, I don't know where to put him in our lineup, and even if he's a good fit with this group. I don't look at this power play and go, they're lacking quality shooters. No. I think I look at this power play right now and say they're lacking good looks. They're lacking ideas. Yeah. That's what it is. It's just like they seem to not have any creativity. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest issue for me. <laughs> there, there there have been moments. Do you remember when they had uh, the Sedins out there with probably Erickson might have been on sure. the power play and then – Sam Gagne was like their trigger man and he was playing the point and it was just like who is going to shoot the puck here it was crazy those years there were some dark times so it's sometimes good to remember those dark times to appreciate the the potential at least like that you know the Sanines were well beyond their 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 most dangerous years at, at that point and Henrik never shot anyway and Daniel's shot wasn't what it used to be and Lou Erickson was always like just a garbage man. He didn't have much of a shot. So it was, it was, that was tough to watch. This at least has potential. But I think what's happened is other teams have watched tape of the Canucks power play and they've made some adjustments. So it's like a football game now. Mm-hmm. You got to make adjustments to the adjustments. And some of that's on the players. And 
a lot of that is going to be on the coaching staff, and I'm sure Rick Tockett is feeling the responsibility to do his part and help his players out here. Uh, this text comes in unsigned. What we learned, adversity during the season is a learning opportunity only if you overcome said adversity. Otherwise, it's just losing. That's a good <laughs> distinction. I like that. Because you could look yeah. at it and say, This well, better pay off. You could look at it and say, well, this Canucks team has faced a lot of adversity in recent years. Oh, you mean they've lost a lot? True. That's true. And they, I, you know, Adversity really, for 60 was through the roof. It was absolutely through team. the roof. It is kind of a double-edged sword, though, right? And I get what you're saying about, yep. okay, they need to have this adversity, but at what point does it just become you're not playing well? And are you actually, you know, are you taking anything away from these learning lessons, as Rick Tockett calls them, mm-hmm. or are you just losing? I don't think they're there, because I actually do think they're still playing pretty well at 5-on-5. Five five. But to the texter's point, you need to have a little bit of adversity, but you want to nip it in the bud pretty quick. I like this text from Kevin and Burnaby. What we learned, the play of Archdeep Baines last night suggests we could consider shifting Dakota Joshua up to the top six. He was pretty effective and made some good plays with Teddy Bluger. Worst case scenario, we know they may have a replacement for Joshua next year if he walks. Yeah, we got a candidate. I think we got a candidate. We've only seen 12 minutes of Baines in the NHL. We haven't seen... uh, the two-way ability um, that Joshua mm-hmm. has. Um, we haven't seen much of anything. So we're all excited for R.C. Baines, and I think he played well. Some people were looking at the uh, you know, the advanced stats, and which didn't paint a pretty picture. But I, listen, I, I think in, in one game, you just, have, you just watch the game and just say, like, did he look like he belonged? Um, you know, there, there might be some things that he has to work on in the NHL level. In fact, I'm pretty sure... There are, but I'm sure Canucks management has on their radar the possibility that Joshua walks. And, you know, Patrick Galvin has said, listen, there will be changes next season, and we will depend on some of our young guys down in Abbotsford to come in and take some of our roles. That's why this is an opportunity potentially for Pod Colson. Mm-hmm. And it's why it's an opportunity right now for Baines to at least get a look, get a feel for the NHL. Don't forget, like Baines has to literally get a feel for the NHL. He's never played in the NHL last night was his first real game in the league. So he's, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll take it in and it'll be like, okay, what have I learned here? What I love about Baines is that, and this is something that he said yesterday before the game, he's like, I've been a guy that gets his foot in the door at every level, however I can. And then you got to make the most of it once you're there. And then you get your foot in the door at a higher level, et cetera, et cetera. Now, some people will say, okay, well, you've gotten your foot in the door at the highest level. Okay, but you haven't haven't moved up the lineup. You've only played one game. Now your foot is in the door. Now you got to go make something of it. I think these stories are terrific for the Canucks as an organization. And it's something we've been talking a lot about. When you have players like Arch Steve Baines that work, 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 their way into a position, nothing is given to them. They are entitled to nothing. They don't feel entitled to anything. They weren't a top 10 pick, so you don't have pressure on management and the scouting staff to like make this guy a thing, yep. like make fetch a thing, like stop trying to make Jake a thing. I mean, <laughs> fetch, right? Like there isn't that organizational pressure to make you look good. 
you just outplay everything. And the Canucks had that with guys like Burroughs and Yannick Hansen, and those guys went a long way for those teams that were Stanley Cup contenders. The fact Baines didn't get drafted by the WHL or the NHL is incredible. And considering well, that- what was his 18-year-old le- the season like? Maybe it wasn't. I don't, know. Maybe, I don't think it was maybe, anything to yeah, write home about. Just, that special, story, right? though, of just what the adversity he overcame to get here is amazing. Ben and Langley, what we learned, the Canucks need to give the Twins PP1 for Saturday night to right the ship as well as exercise those 2011 yes, demons before the stretch run. Can you imagine those video meetings? Like, this seems very important to Daniel. and <laughs> They're really yelling gotta, at us. Here. Yeah, they really want us to beat this team. Power play. Uh, just the point on Baines and replacing Joshua. I mean, I don't think there's any question that he's setting himself up to compete for a spot at training camp next year based on his performance, his play, but also the the salary cap situation with a guy like Dakota Joshua. He's not going to be a one-to-one replacement for Joshua because as we've seen, Dakota Joshua is just uh, like has unique physical traits that not a lot of guys mm-hmm. in the NHL have. Baines isn't that. I will say my biggest question with Baines was going to be just, does he look like he belongs physically? Can he keep up? Is there the strength there? And I thought he passed that test. And if you can have that, it doesn't mean you're going to be, you know, the same type of physical presence that Dakota Joshua has. But if you have just enough of that in your game that you can survive in the in the bottom six or the middle six, that's a big deal for his NHL championship. Baines, by the forward. way, is 18 points in 63 games in, in his 18-year-old year. year. So. Yeah. He's probably on some team's radars, but he just didn't end up getting picked. He had his breakout the next year. Trent in his work van. What we learned, this strange lull in Canucks play after acquiring Lindholm is exactly why Alvin and Rutherford made this trade early instead of waiting till the deadline. Now there's a longer runway to sort out whatever got changed when bringing in a new player. I think it's completely unfair. Uh, I like the text, Trent in your work van, um, but anyone blaming Lindholm or pointing at Lindholm as any semblance of a reason for this Canucks lull, I I disagree with. I looked at the schedule coming out of the All-Star break and went, this is going to be this tough. T- this is the toughest stretch they have. In this terms is of travel, in terms of opponents, yeah. <laughs> this is clearly the toughest stretch. Yeah. And what, now they're... Like they're just a hair of below five hundred after the All-Star break? What are they, 4-4-1 four, four, and one Something now? like and that. Nine games, something yeah. like that. It's not that bad. So they're handling it pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Like that's what happens. You play, if you were on the road a lot against really good teams, Yeah, you're going to lose games. You're going to go 500. It's, yeah, I wouldn't it's not call that big it, a deal. The, the only thing I'd put it, put uh, you know, I'd disagree with Trent in his text is like calling it a strange lull. It's not strange. Yeah, it's um, very explainable. Um, what we learned unsigned, the Canucks lose three straight for the first time all season in late February. Fans are acting like the sky is falling. Let's pump the brakes and remember how far this team has come. A three-game skid was a regular occurrence multiple times a year in the past. Enjoy the ride, Canucks fans. I actually enjoy this new role where I'm telling Canucks fans that it's going to be okay. Yeah. And not the other way around. Whereas before, I've been like, it's not okay. It is funny because you, <laughs> you know, know? think about like the Boudreaux bump and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this, this is incredible. It's like, well, let's slow down. And now it's, oh my gosh, they've lost three games in a row. It's like, no, this is still a good team. Don't worry about Get it. Excited. Everyone calm Be down. excited. Yeah, this yeah. is still it's a so fun, weird. good team. But, uh, it, but we, if they win one more, can we play? Is it time to panic for the Simpsons? Can we play that club? If they lose sure. one more? Yeah. Just yeah, for yeah. you, Ed. Uh, what we learned, one more. Bayern will go tro- trophyless for the first time in a lot of years. Harry Kane is cursed. Yeah, Harry Kane doesn't have any like team trophies nope. at the club level or the international level. And he goes to Bayern and is like, this is guaranteed these guys row. win it all the time. And they are probably not going to win 
any trophies this season. But you know what? England's going to win the Euros. So Hurricane's going to get his trophy then. We got to go. We're back tomorrow. It is Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650.